0: Well, we're going to turn to the Bible now and uh, listen to what God has to say to us. I don't know if you're bored of hearing about coronavirus, if you're fed up of talking about it. It seems to be the only topic of conversation at the moment. And I was thinking, what what should we look at for the next few weeks as a church? We don't want to keep looking at coronavirus and how it's impacting us and all those things. And actually, as I thought and prayed about it, I, I thought... What we really need is to have a big view of Jesus. What we really need is to get our eyes away from ourselves and our situation and to see him. And three weeks today, it's Easter Sunday. And so I thought it would be great just for us to spend the next three Sundays thinking together about the resurrection of Jesus. Why does it matter that Jesus rose from the dead? And how does that encourage us in a world of coronavirus and crisis? So that's what we're going to try and do, and we're going to take three passages from the book of Romans, three passages where Paul, who wrote Romans, talks about the resurrection of Jesus and applies it to different things. In Romans chapter 1, he applies it to Jesus' identity. The resurrection of Jesus seals his identity. It shows us who he truly is. That's what we're going to do today. Then next week, we're going to look at Romans chapter 4, where we discover that the resurrection of Jesus seals our justification and then on Easter Sunday itself we're going to look at Romans chapter 8 and we're going to see the glorious truth that the resurrection of Jesus seals our future so it seals his identity it seals our justification and it seals our future that's the kind of map for the next few weeks and I hope that whets your appetite and gets you excited about what we're going to see but let's read uh, now from Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to read the first four verses. And we're going to focus really on just on verse 4 and try and understand it together. So follow with me as I read. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his earthly life was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Why don't we pray? Let's ask God to help us. Father, we pray that we would put all other distractions out of our minds and that in these moments you would please help us to see the glory of of the resurrected Son of God. Father, please, would we be caused to worship Him and to trust Him? And we ask it in His powerful name. Amen. I wonder how you cope with interruptions. You know, you have your plans, things are heading along one direction, and then suddenly something comes along and it spoils it. You're sitting down to watch a film, and you've got a nice evening of relaxing ahead of you, and then the phone rings and your evening's been interrupted. We live in a world that's full of interruptions. We live in a world where we think our lives are trundling along normally and then suddenly something happens and everything gets thrown off. Interruptions happen all the time. But it is important for us to understand that there are bad interruptions and there are good interruptions. There is a difference between those two things. So there are bad interruptions, and bad interruptions take us away from what matters and distract us with the trivial. So that's when you're sitting, you know, working at home, uh, as we're all doing, and you, you're you've got your phone on your desk, and a notification pops up, and it's the latest hilarious meme that someone's created, and it is an interruption to your work. You were flowing with your work and then suddenly you're interrupted. And what matters has been distracted by the trivial. Those are bad interruptions. Those are the sort of interruptions that make us cross and frustrated. But there's a different sort of interruption. There are important interruptions. So think now of lying in bed, fast asleep, when suddenly the ear-piercing beep of the smoke alarm cuts into your night's sleep. It wakes you, it interrupts your sleep. Now that's an important interruption. It's telling you something that there's an urgent need for you to take action. You see, important interruptions take us away from what does not matter and wake us up to the things that really do matter. Now, all of us have experienced probably the biggest interruption to normal life that we've ever experienced. Coronavirus has put everything on hold. It's interrupted all sorts of plans. But it isn't the biggest interruption that there's ever been. There's been a bigger one. And that's the interruption I want us to talk about uh, just for a few minutes this afternoon. I want to talk about the time when God interrupted human history now actually god has a habit of interrupting people's lives he does it a lot you read about it in the bible think of the young shepherd boy david there he is getting on with his shepherdy career and he's doing well he's a promising young student he's out writing psalms and singing on the hills he's looking after his sheep his life is heading in the shepherding direction until god interrupts his life And God anoints him to be king of Israel. And his whole life life is changed. Or think of the young girl Mary. Just a teenager. Preparing to get married. A very ordinary trundling along. When suddenly God interrupts her life. And tells her that she's going to have a baby who is going to be the king. In the line of King David. And her life was never the same again. Interrupted. And this is what God does. He interrupts. And in Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the gospel. You'll see that in verse 1. Paul says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. He's called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. It's the gospel, verse 2, that he promised beforehand. Now, now, what does this word, the gospel, mean? Well, what it means is the big interruption. Sometimes we um, say that gospel means good news, and that's true, but it's a little bit weak. There's all sorts of things that would be in the category good news. You know, ice cream is half price in Sainsbury's. Oh, that's good news. Jesus is the Saviour of the world. Oh, that's good news. You see, good news doesn't quite cut it. When we think of this idea of gospel, it is momentous news. It is the biggest news. It is history stopping. It is direction changing. It is destiny interrupting. The message of Jesus, the gospel, interrupts human history. And and fascinatingly, you can even see it in our dating system. Our human history is interrupted by Jesus before Christ and after Christ. We will not redate our world around coronavirus, but we did redate our world around Jesus. So here is the God who interrupts human history. Interrupts human history with the gospel, the momentous good news that changes everything. Humanity was heading in one direction. Humanity was heading away from God. Humanity was heading towards destruction and punishment. And God interrupted. God interrupted in order that he might save humanity. That is momentous good news. And so what is this good news? Well, we're told in verse 2, it's the good news, the gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This was always God's plan. There's a whole book about it. And this good news is regarding his son. God's good news is not a philosophy. It's not a list of rules. It's not an idea. It's a person. It's the son of God. And that is why, as Christians, we are excited about Jesus. That's why we need to know him, because he is the history-interrupting good news that our world desperately needs to hear. He's the good news that you need to hear this afternoon. And verse 3 tells us that Jesus came as a man. He lived an earthly life life as a descendant of David. David, the king. Jesus born into that line. So he became a man. But it's verse four that I want us now to focus on. Because this verse will explode our minds about the glory of this good news that God has brought about. So I'm going to read verse 4 again, and I want you to look at it with me. There are four bits to this verse, and we're going to dissect it. We're going to take these four bits, look at each of them individually, and then put them back together. So here is verse 4. This Son, who through the Spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. There are four bits to that. It's a complicated sentence. So we're going to pull those four bits apart. This verse tells us what has happened. It tells us how it happened. It tells us when it happened. And it tells us why it happened. We need to just look at the order of the um, clauses of the sentence carefully so that we see the, the logic of what's going on. Look at verse 4 and tell me what has happened. Well, don't tell me because I can't hear you, but you could tell someone sitting near you. What is it that verse 4 says has happened? Verse 4 says that he has been appointed the Son of God in power. That's what's happened. Jesus has been appointed Son of God in power. How did that happen? Through the Spirit of holiness. When did that happen? By his resurrection from the dead. And why did it happen? So that the whole world might know that he's Jesus Christ, our Lord. Four bits. Let's just take those one at a time and work our way through them and let the glory of what we're being told about Jesus really sink in. So what has happened? He has been appointed son of God in power. What does that mean well at first sight it might sound as though it means that Jesus has become something that he wasn't before so he's now been appointed son of God in power but the reality is that Jesus has always been the son of God he is the eternal son of God it's not that he became the son of God at his resurrection he's always been the son It is part of his very nature. He is one with his Father. Father, Son. We've seen loads about this in John's Gospel in the recent weeks. But understanding he is the eternal Son, he's always been the Son. But he hasn't always looked like the Son. You see, there was a time when Jesus did not look like the Son of God. In fact, you could walk down a dusty Galilean street and you could walk past him and you wouldn't even notice him. You wouldn't even spot that there was anything different about him. He just looked like a man. Because this eternal son of God became a man. He took an earthly life. That's what verse 3 is about. He has a flesh. He has an earthly life to him. And when Jesus lived on earth, he didn't always look like the son of God. You see, when you see Jesus thirsty, or when you see Jesus tired, he doesn't look like the son of God. Now, of course, God cannot be hungry or thirsty, but when God became a man... Well then he hungered and he thirsted. And he certainly didn't look like the son of God when he was nailed to a cross, when there was blood flowing down his face, and when people mocked him and laughed at him. If you're really the son of God, save yourself. You're not the son of God. You're a Galilean loser. Doesn't look like the Son of God. And so you have this, he's always been the Son of God, but he didn't look like the Son of God. But what has now happened? Well, verse 4 tells us he has now been appointed the Son of God in power. His time of lowliness, his time of veiling his Godness is over, it's no longer hidden. It's no longer masked by a human, fallen, frail body. No, now he's the Son of God in power. He's still a man. He still has a human body. But it's no longer part of this fallen creation. Now it is the Son of God in power. And see, this is the story of who Jesus is, the eternal son of God, who became man, became lowly, died, but now is appointed son of God in power. So in many ways, in what Paul is saying in verse 4, is not that Jesus has become something that he has never been. He's saying that he now is experiencing what is rightfully and fully his. It's a bit like, remember David, the little shepherd boy, out looking after his sheep? A man called Samuel came up to him and poured some oil on his head and said, you're going to be king. He was the anointed king at that point. But he didn't look like the king. He was still a little shepherd boy. And there was actually quite a big gap between that And then the moment when he was appointed king in power. When he was recognized as the true king that he is. That's what we're being told about Jesus. He's always been the king. He's always been the eternal son of God. But what has happened now is that he's been appointed son of God in power. All power has been given to him. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me. That is as a function of what has happened. You also get it in other places. In Philippians chapter 2, we read of how Jesus came to this lowly place, but now therefore God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that's above every name. So Jesus is now as glorified as he could ever be or will ever be. He will never be more glorified than he is now. He will never be more powerful. He is the Son of God in power, and it's all his. Do you, do you understand how powerful he is today? That's his status. I think too often we, we think of Jesus still as the Gal- Galilean carpenter. We think of him still in his lowly state, because we can sort of identify with him, well, he's like us, he's a human being like us, and we, uh, we get tired, he gets tired. But not anymore. He's not that anymore. He doesn't get tired anymore. He's not tempted anymore. He's not dying on a cross anymore. This is why a crucifix that still has the body of Jesus on it is so wrong. He's not there He was, that was his state, but not anymore. He is now appointed son of God in power. And if you could see Jesus now, if you walked past him on the street now, you would not miss him. In fact, you would fall down at his feet as though you were dead. Oh, we need to see more of the glory of Jesus. Oh, that we could see his appointment to power this declaration that the Father has made. This is my king. But how did this happen? What happened? He was appointed son of God in power, but how? Well, Paul says this happened through the spirit of holiness. Again, that's a strange phrase. Because you might just think, well, why doesn't it just say, well, God did it? But Paul is very specific. No, through the spirit of holiness, Jesus has been appointed son of God in power. This is not a self-appointment. Jesus didn't declare himself to be the son of God in power. This is an appointment that God has made by his spirit. And this is the spirit of holiness. Why do you think Paul... Particularly describes the spirit like that. I wonder if it's because when you think of Jesus in his humanity when you think of him in his fleshliness when you think of him in his human life he lived a life that was sort of unclean with other people. He came into contact with unclean things. He died. And death is unclean. When you read the book of Leviticus, you discover that there's so much about this world that makes us unclean. You know, it's been interesting listening to the briefings of the, um, scientists. I've never heard government briefings that sound more like the book of Leviticus. You know, if you, uh, have a symptom, then you need to isolate yourself for this amount of time. And anyone in your house needs to isolate themselves for this amount of time. It's been it's kind of slightly made me laugh as I've listened to it. Um, but God cares about our cleanness, and here is Jesus who came into this unclean world. And so this appointment to this place of Son of God in power is done by the spirit of holiness. I wonder if Paul is emphasising that this is a holy appointment. He has nothing to do now with death and sin and decay and futility. All of that is finished. He is now in the place of absolute holiness. The Spirit has set him apart. And there is a beautiful symmetry really in the life of Jesus when you think of it. He was anointed by the Spirit at his baptism. And now he is appointed by the Spirit at his resurrection. And so here is what we're being told. The Spirit of holiness has appointed the Son of God in power. Of course, this means you can trust Jesus. You see, when someone self-appoints, when someone declares themselves to be king, that's a dangerous thing. But Jesus never pulls rank. Jesus never uses his authority to demand things from other people. No, Jesus only ever used his authority to serve. The eternal Son of God became a man even to die on a cross. And it is the spirit of holiness, through the spirit of holiness, that he has been appointed Son of God in power. God the Father, just as he anointed him at his baptism has now appointed him in his resurrection through the spirit of holiness so Jesus has got nothing more to do now with this unclean world when did this happen well it happened by his resurrection from the dead that was the decisive moment that marked the change between the lowly veiled life of Jesus and the now Appointed in power, Son of God. That is the decisive moment. Jesus' manner of existence changed at that moment. He was raised from the dead. That means the resurrection of Jesus is far more significant than we often think it is. We've got to stop thinking of the resurrection simply as the happy ending to the story. Oh, poor Jesus, he died on a cross. Oh, it's okay, he's alive again. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was completely different to what he was before in his humanity. His humanity had completely changed. Of course, in his godness he hadn't changed because God doesn't change. But his humanity had changed. He had gone from being lowly to being son of God in power. And therefore, his body was changed. Resurrection is not the same as resuscitation. When someone is resuscitated, so the footballer Muamba, who uh, all those years ago his, his heart stopped and he was out for 78 minutes, and they brought him back and he came back and he was alive again. That was a resuscitation. It's not the same as a resurrection. A resurrection brings about a complete change. It means you're done with death forever. You're never going to die again. And it was at that moment that Jesus was appointed son of God in power. As he's raised from the dead and then that's sealed by his ascension to heaven and him sitting at the right hand of his father. And why? Why? Why is this so significant? Well, because it means that this Jesus is Jesus Christ our Lord. When we begin to take on board the implications of the resurrection of Jesus, the sheer power that it means that Jesus now has, it makes us realize that he's Lord. Back in Acts chapter 2, when Peter's preaching on the day of Pentecost, This is what he preaches to the crowd. He preaches to them of Jesus in his earthly life, now risen from the dead. And then he finishes by saying, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's the one who has all authority and all power. It's all been given to him. His resurrection is what guarantees that. And therefore, Jesus is the one who has the right to interrupt our lives. He's the one who has the right to have authority over our lives. We don't get to sit in judgment on him and say, Oh, let me see. Do I like Jesus? Shall I follow him? Not sure. He's Lord and Christ. He's the one who has all authority. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. You don't get to choose whether you follow him. You must follow him. Because he's been appointed son of God in power. And we flip this round all the time. We put ourselves in that place of decision rather than humbling ourselves and saying, Jesus, I'm sorry that I've ignored you. I'm sorry that I've treated you as if you're not that powerful. Please would you interrupt my life. I wonder this afternoon, what is your view of Jesus? Do you think of him as powerful? Do you think of him as this powerful? Do you think of him as the one who has the right even to interrupt your life? Let me just suggest two ways that he might interrupt your life this week. Perhaps he might interrupt our sin. Reality is we have hearts that run after other things. We turn to other things. We love other things. We worship other things. And Jesus comes and he stands in our way and he says, I am Lord and Christ. And I will interrupt you. He came to die for our sin. He came to forgive us so that we could live. But now he calls on us and he says, stop. Turn around. So what is the sin in your life that Jesus needs to interrupt today? That his power needs to interrupt. That his resurrection needs to stop you in your tracks. Just as the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, was stopped in his tracks on the road to Damascus as he was heading to kill Christians, Jesus stood in his way and said, No, I'm the Lord. You must stop. And Jesus interrupted his life. Where does he need to interrupt you this week? What is the sin that he needs to stop you from? Will you listen to him? And perhaps he needs to interrupt our dreams. He needs to interrupt our ambitions, interrupt the direction that we're heading in. The coronavirus has interrupted our lives for a time. And at some point, things will probably return to normal. Perhaps not quite the way they were, but we'll basically get back to normal. It's a minor interruption for a short time. But when Jesus comes, he wants to interrupt your life forever. He wants to interrupt your ambitions and your dreams, what you're living for, your priorities. If Jesus has been appointed son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead then we need to give everything to him. We need to live for him. So I want to invite you this afternoon where you're sitting right now to say to Jesus please interrupt my dreams. Would you become the Lord of my life? I want to submit everything to you. You have all power. I want to trust you. So what has happened? He's been appointed son of God in power. How's it happened? Through the spirit of holiness. When did it happen? When he rose from the dead. Why did it happen? So that the whole world would know that he's Jesus Christ, our Lord. It seals his identity. So as we run up to Easter, let's get a big view of Jesus. Let's see his power and let's worship him we're going to respond together by singing crown him with many crowns. The lamb upon the throne. He has the authority. We need to crown him.